you're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. Matchin once wrote that strange things are lost and forgotten in obscure corners of the newspaper. Welcome to Forgotten Darkness, a podcast that will aim to prove that that statement is true. variously called the Thing of Sheep Hill, or Monty the Monster, began to make its presence known in October 1945. Many dead animals, mostly rabbits, pheasants, and other small things, had been found in northern Chester County, just across the Schuylkill River from Pottstown, Pennsylvania, in rural North Coventry Township in the vicinity of a small informal community called Cedarville. Sometime around October 20th, a resident of Cedarville by the name of J. Hunter Geigley reported that he and his family had heard horrible screaming sounds on their land. Another man named Chester Ayers of the same town also said that he heard strange noises and prowled his property in search of what it was that made the noises. Forrest Goodling, who was an employee of the Laurel Locks Farm north of Cedarville, said that on about November 2, 1945, he again heard a shrieking but on this occasion, actually saw an animal. This, he said rather unhelpfully, was, quote, larger than a fox and different in shape being longer with a tenuous tail. It was also seen by another Laurel Locks employee named John Hipple while he was out hunting. In a field covered with tall grass and underbrush, he said he saw the black animal jump about 20 feet away from him and then run off. He fired a shotgun at whatever it was, but it successfully ran away. The unidentified animal had also been seen loitering around a sheep pen on the farm. This ends the career of a so-called mystery animal that was said by some to scream like a man, said the Pottstown Mercury, writing of an unusually large gray fox found on the Laurel Locks property by manager Miller Long on the morning of November 6th. Long said that the animal had been shot by a hunter. He displayed the fox on the porch of the farm offices where its size was remarked upon. It was of a dark gray collar with an unusually large tail. But then, the same paper reported the next day, it was found that the dead fox had, quote, not ended the terrorism existing in that section. For on the night of the 6th, some animal that quote-unquote screamed dreadful was heard roaming outside the home of William Boyer near Schenkel, another small community to the west. It was jokingly said by the residents of North North Coventry that the animal was, quote-unquote, angry over the election returns. Then on the morning of November 7th, Mrs. Paul Horner, who lived on Sheep Hill Road just outside Cedarville, claimed that she heard a noise like the crying of a baby near her house while she was getting her son ready for school. 
That same morning, the animal was also said to have attempted to steal a duck from a farm near Coventryville, quite a distance to the south. Six men with shotguns launched a hunt for the animal, but they could not catch it. Then, that night, it was again heard, back north near Cedarville, this time by Mr. William, Mrs. William Keller. By now, people had begun believing the beast to be a panther. Deliveries stopped being made in the area until the animal was caught, and parents had stopped letting their children walk home from school. Around 6.30 a.m. on the morning of November 8th, the animal was seen by Russell Netterauer, who lived near the village of Titlow's Corner. It started when a neighbor of Netterauer's named Thomas Rhodes heard horses in the fields outside, snorting and running around. He looked out the window to see a huge cat among the horses. Mr. and Mrs. Mayberry Rhodes, Thomas's parents, saw the animal as well. Thomas grabbed his rifle and ran outside, where he and Russell watched the cat run across the Nitterauer's fields and toward the woodline. It was later reported that night, John G. Schaefer, who had a property located on St. Peter's Road on Sheep Hill, heard some commotion among turkeys on his farm. He flipped on his lights and said he heard Monty scream and bound away like a cat. Officer John J. Boyle of the North Coventry Township Police Department organized a hunting party of men armed with shotguns and hunting dogs the next morning. It was presumed by this point that the creature made its home on wooded Sheep Hill and that it was primarily nocturnal. Officer Boyle asked people in the area to call him if they heard its cries. That same day, it was reported that it had appeared on the farm of Michael Salonic, where it was claimed that it had carried off either a turkey or a chicken. Reports were unclear. Soon after, Leroy Kaiser and Urban Strunk, both of whom lived just east of Sheep Hill on Cedarville Road, heard Monty screaming, though neither saw the animal. Boyle's hunting party, nearly 40 strong, concentrated on the wooded areas of Sheep Hill, methodically making their way west from Cedarville through the woods, and then back along the Harmonyville Road, particularly focusing on the Salonic Farm. While the hunters were out, John Schaefer claimed to have seen Monty at the Laurel Locks Farm. He said that, quote, He is sure the animal is not a fox or a dog, but is apparently a panther or similar animal. Boyle announced that a second hunting party would be mounted on Sunday, November 11th. One lady from Cedarville said that she hoped the monster would be killed before then, however, as she felt otherwise people wouldn't be able to get to church. This hunt, however, was fairly uneventful, but another makeshift hunt Sunday night was less so. 18-year-old Ivan Lehman Jr. and 21-year-old Irene Petzer, both from Pottstown, were treated at the hospital for injuries suffered in an automobile accident. Lehman, Petzer, and three other unnamed teenagers were hunting for Monty when they drove down a dark road, through a fence, and down a five-foot embankment. That same night, the screaming creature was encountered by John Wojak and George and Edward Bertollet, once again at the Laurel Locks farm, after it was spotted in their flashlights. John Wojak fired at it twice, but it only shrieked and made ten-foot leaps away from them. John Hipple once again encountered the animal, still at the farm, this time sitting in a tree near the barn. It leapt from the tree limb, and Hipple said that he was reluctant to fire at it because he was afraid he might miss. He said it was nearly three times as large as a fox. Another makeshift hunt was organized by Sumner and Clarence Smith, a father and son from Parkerford, who were members of the Bellwood Hunting Club, a group of fox hunters. 
The Smiths and others gathered 16 dogs and set out in search of Monty. The hunt began at the Laurel Locks farm on Monday, November 12th. They were momentarily excited when an animal was caught on the Salonic farm that had featured in the previous day's hunt, but it proved to be only a large gray fox. A woman named Mabel Hurd from Joanna Heights, Berks County, near Morgantown, wrote to the Pottstown Mercury to state that she believed that the animal being hunted was a mountain lion. The last mountain lion, or what was supposedly the last one, in Pennsylvania had been killed on Hawk Mountain in northern Berks County by Thomas Anson in 1874, although they have been habitually seen many times in the years since. Mrs. Hurd claimed that she had encountered one near Joanna Heights in 1944. Another letter the police received claimed that Monty could be captured by putting a bit of salt on his tail, a reference to an old wives' tale that birds could be caught via the same method, and which also doubled as a sort of a joke, since if one was close enough to put salt on its tail, they'd also be close enough to just grab it. That night, Monty was reported to be wandering in the vicinity of Schenkel, close to the Berks County border. A trap was also set for it at Laurel Locks Farm, where a dead chicken was hung from the tree branch where John Hipple had seen Monty crouching the day before. Though Hipple, Officer Boyle, and several other men kept a watch over the trap, the creature didn't show. That the animal was crafty and sly is shown by the fact that the dead chicken left in a spot Monday night near an oak tree, not far from the hog barn, was not touched. Boyle said the animal seems to have a very keen sense of smell, and humans cannot approach him. An 18-year-old Pottstown boy named William Brandell Jr. shot himself that night as well. Brandell and another Pottstown boy named John Lewis went to Sheep Hill to hunt for the beast. As Brandell described the events of that night, I thought I saw something and had my gun off safety. I tripped over a rock or a log. The shotgun went off. The something escaped in the foggy darkness. Lewis took Brandell to the hospital. One area woman, Mrs. Edward Krieger, said that, tired of the number of armed townspeople driving cars around and tramping over her land and firing guns at all hours of the night and essentially making sleep impossible, said, maybe I'll start some shooting if that nonsense doesn't stop. And others said the hunts were, quote, worse than the Battle of Gettysburg and that they are not apt to shoot the wolf or whatever it is, but they'll likely shoot me if I'm a foot above the ground. Mrs. Frank Kime, who lived near the by now notorious Laurel Locks farm, said that she hoped the animal was soon killed. She had heard it crying almost nightly for the past several weeks. Small game in the vicinity of Sheep Hill was being decimated by whatever it was, and the farms in the area reported a loss in poultry. On November 13th, another party led by District Game Protector Peter J. Filkowski and three deputies investigated the area carefully combing a 300-acre area. Mr. and Mrs. Frank Still, who lived near the hog pens where Boyle and Hipple laid their trap, stated that they had heard the beast on several occasions, and that on the night of the 11th, Still had fired on it, indicating that it was near the, where the trap was laid, even if it didn't fall for it. Filkowski said that his search, while a number of tracks were found, failed to turn up sign of any animal not normally native to the area. He said some tracks that had been previously found on one of the farms in the vicinity of Sheep Hill and thought to have been made by Monty appeared to have been made by a dog. 
he stated that there were no signs of a mountain lion or any other sort of large cat. He also cautioned local residents against carrying loaded firearms in the hunt for the mysterious animal. That night, John Wojak once more encountered what he thought was the beast in a tree, once more near the hog farm where the chicken trap was set, but it flew away revealing that it was only a large owl. Phil Kosky, aided by Officer Boyle and 12 game wardens, mounted another hunt of the area looking for Monty on the night of the 14th, but by 2 a.m. he had found nothing. Again, traps were laid. This time, entrails and blood were obtained from local slaughterhouses and spread throughout the woods of Sheep Hill in an effort to lure the creature in toward the hunting party. It had also been decided that a number of state policemen, led by Corporal Robert Boise of the Collegeville Barracks, would aid the hunt by clearing the roads around Sheep Hill to keep civilians out of the area. M.J. Golden of the State Game Commission also issued a statement urging people to stay away. Mrs. Edward Bailey of Pottstown had sent a letter to the newspaper expressing her theory on Monty's identity. Don't think for one minute that the animal is a puma or a panther. There will be more people killed. Both are ferocious animals and love human blood. I think it is nothing but a lynx, a big black cat in other words, which lives on fowl. Lynx also like to do their own killing. That is why the animal did not bother the dead chicken the other night. Filkowski stated that he didn't believe the animal, whatever it was, was dangerous. Bear traps were set on November 15th, and it was also discovered that some of the bait spread on the farm of Ralph Saylor, near the Laurel Locks turkey farm, had been eaten, and clear tracks were discovered nearby. Filkowski stated that the tracks couldn't be immediately identified. That night, more blood and entrails were used to bait the traps set in the woods. Officer Boyle said that on November 16th, he was on the sailor property when he saw a large animal eating some of the offal that had been spread around. The animal was clearly seen to be a large black dog. Boyle maintained, despite this sighting, that he was not at all convinced Monty was a dog, however, due to the vocalizations that had been heard. A letter was received by Ralph Spare, secretary of the Pottstown Chamber of Commerce, from a Connecticut woman named Ida Ellsworth. She felt that Monty, who by this time had become national news, was none other than the Glastonbury Gloacus, another mystery panther that had been seen in 1939, and not 18 months ago as the letter stated. Several persons on opening their doors after dark declared that they saw a pair of burning eyes in the form of a large dog. Several automobiles met this animal at night, and all they could see were its glaring eyes. Hunters and officers went seeking this animal in the riverlands, but he always managed to escape. For a long time, nothing has been heard or seen of this animal. I believe he has migrated to your locality. I hope the animal will be captured soon, for he killed pigs and calves and other dogs, as well as loads of chickens. He was a menace everywhere. He even tore down the pig pens to get to the pigs. On the night of November 17th, Monty put in yet another appearance at Laurel Locke's farm, attempting to get into the turkey pens, according to Michael Yednock. Nothing more was heard from Monty for several days, and then, on November 21st, Filkowski abruptly declared that the affair was over, and that the animal, whatever he may have been, was seen running toward Alaska.
Hello, and let me tell you about Twisted Britain, a podcast on true crime in Britain with a sprinkling of the weird and the macabre. Your hosts are me, Bob Dale. And me, Nadine Royal. We're a couple of friends who met in the pub, and we developed a friendship based on our mutual love of booze, podcasts, and pub quizzes. We met in the Settlement in Stirling, and that's where we record. Each week, we both tell a story of something twisted. One long one, and one short one. And we decide who goes first. Based on the flip of a coin. So if that sounds like something that would tickle your fancy, you can always find us wherever you normally find your podcasts. Just search for Twisted Britain. Thanks. Bye. So what might Monty have been? I tend to discount the possibility that he was a mountain lion, as it seems that that identity only came up later, after the hysteria and panic associated with the sightings had fully taken off. Earlier accounts seem to indicate something far smaller, in my opinion, with mentions of poultry and rabbit be- rabbits being killed. In physical appearance, he was described as bigger, in a f- bigger than a fox, black or dark gray in collar, with some capacity for leaping, and at least somewhat arboreal nature, pointed ears, and a thin tail. Its vocalizations were mainly described as like a man screaming, or a baby crying, with another description that it started out low and then quote-unquote went off. The first option, given the noises it made, would obviously be a fox. Indeed, at least two unusually large gray foxes were encountered during the flap. However, a fox's tail could scarcely be described as thin, unless it were sick. Besides, it seems that many witnesses were adamant that it was not a fox. The prey would be consistent, but the nature of the vocalizations, in my opinion, is less so. Here are the vocalizations of a fox, in case the listener hasn't ever heard them. The second option would be a coyote. A coyote would fit the general physical appearance of the animal, although once again the tail is bushy, albeit less so than a fox's. A coyote's climbing and leaping ability is well known, and although it's obviously not arboreal by nature, it probably could climb a tree if it wanted to. At the time of the North Coventry sightings, coyotes were native to the northern sections of the state more so than the south, but have since spread throughout the entire state. Some of the vocalizations of a coyote, especially, are consistent with those described. Here are some of those. also known as fisher cats, although they neither eat fish nor are cats, 
are fairly large mustelids, the family containing weasels, skunks, badgers, etc. They're black animals, approximately the size of a badger, though built more along the lines of a mink or weasel. They have somewhat bushy tails, though smaller than a fox's, and are well known for climbing trees. They would prey on the sorts of animals reputed to have been killed by Monty early in his career, and their cat-like build could, could account for the identification of the animal as a cat. Fishers also make eerie yells. Finally, there's the possibility of its being a cougar. As said, these came up later in the flap. It's possible that the animal was a lynx or a bobcat, the latter native to, the, to this section of the state, the lynx not. As these would fit the physical description fairly well, gray in collar, pointed ears, leaping ability, partially arboreal. Though in the case of a tail, lynx and bobcat have, have only a small nub. The prey animals seem somewhat inconsistent with a cougar. Although a cougar would eat rabbits and poultry if needed, it would generally prefer larger prey. Here's a cougar's yowls. Whatever it was, about 30 years later, another similar creature again appeared in the area, this time northeast of Pottstown in the Ringing Hills neighborhood of Pottsgrove Township, Montgomery County. On March 10, 1973, something broke into a rabbit hutch at the home of Gerald Vermiche at 1630 Orlando Road and killed one of the two rabbits within. The rabbit's mangled body was found discarded in a neighbor's yard the next morning, Shortly after this, the creature, or whatever it was, again broke into a rabbit cage at the home of Raymond Schaefer, also on Orlando Road. The Schaefers repaired the rabbit cage, but then the next night, what was apparently the same animal broke into the cage a second time, this time damaging it beyond repair and killing a second rabbit. Several other pets in the neighboring Colonial Heights neighborhood had also been killed. A large, four-inch wide footprint was found in the woods off Orlando Road. A few days later, Chief Daniel Kerwin of the Upper Pottsgrove Police was patrolling Mulgers Mill Road, investigating some mysterious screams and noises that were heard in the woods there, when a motorist stopped him. In the chief's words, He told me that he had just come down Orlando Road and turned on to Mulgers Mill Road when he saw some kind of creature standing alongside the road, along the roadside. He said the creature was holding a dead rabbit and pulling at it. I suggested it was a dog, maybe a big German shepherd, but he said no, 
A dog wouldn't stand on two legs while attacking a rabbit. He said the thing had a hairy face and red eyes. It seemed to come toward him. When Chief Kerwin went to the spot where the sighting took place, he saw no monster, but did find a dead rabbit. Despite that, I still thought it was a big dog that did it. It was very dark that night, and the guy could have been imagining part of what he saw. But who knows? It was soon learned that a few weeks before, some mysteriously killed animals were found near Parker Ford, Chester County, about five miles east of the Sheep Hill section where Monty had appeared. Mrs. Richard Jacobs, who lived on Bethel Church Road just outside of town, said a rabbit pen on their farm was broken into. One of the pens was just ripped apart, and it was really heavy wire. There were two black rabbits in that, and the thing just pulled them out and killed them and left them there. The animal also broke into another pen and killed a third rabbit. Another woman, Mrs. Albert Ganoza, said that in January something ripped a hole in a rabbit cage, and she retrieved some long, gray hairs from the ragged hole. I'm not certain whether anything was ever determined as to what these hairs were, or in fact if they were even ever tested at all, actually. On March 14th, A.W. White was driving along Bethel Church Road when he encountered a strange animal climbing up an embankment at the side of the road. The animal was a reddish collar with cat-like hind legs and a short, almost imperceptible neck. The animal, variously said by this time to be a wolverine, a badger, a bear, or more exotically, the Latin American wildcat known as a jaguar undie, fell silent for a while. It seemed to have reappeared on March 21st in Douglas Township, just over the county line from Boyertown, Berks County. Donald Gilbert of Nyanic Road reported that some rabbits had been killed on his property. Just in front of the rabbit hutch, he said he found some footprints with extended claws. The prints were in the ground at least a quarter of an inch, and judging from the size, it was too large to be a dog. The ground was soft, but whatever made these prints was much heavier than the dog. Some friends think it's a bear, but if it were, it would have knocked the cage over and not ripped it apart. March 23rd, the beast was back, this time on Evans Road, south of Boyertown. Around 9 a.m., Mrs. Calvin Spiker left her two poodles out into the yard and went into her house. Then, she said, she heard her dogs barking and went outside to see some large animal with one of her dogs in its mouth. That dog escaped, and then the animal grabbed the other one. She scared the animal, and the other dog also managed to escape. At first, the beast, which was close to 100 pounds and nearly three times as large as the dog, only walked away. As I chased after it, it began to run, not fast, but a funny waddle, and then I knew it wasn't a dog. She said the animal, whatever it was, was nearly three feet tall and had long legs. It was spotted, was gray and brown, and had a broad, flat face. This description seems very consistent with a bobcat or lynx. Neither dog was seriously injured. The animal was last seen running through a field on the other side of Colebrookdale Road. March 28th had the beast back in the Ringing Hills area where the 1973 flap had begun, when A.J. Morello of Mulgers Mill Road said he found a rabbit cage torn open and the rabbit killed. Like most of the others, it had been killed via injuries to the neck, which seems to correlate with the way most felines kill their prey. 
a game warden named William Beam, examined the cast made of the tracks that had been found, and expressed his belief that the beast was merely a large dog, something like a Great Dane or St. Bernard. I haven't seen the animal, of course, but in each case I have found four toe prints and all members of the dog family have four toes. The prints were large and very distinct, and I immediately ruled out a wolverine, like many had thought, because that has five toes. He said he wasn't ruling out the possibility that all the killings may have been the work of more than one animal. Furthermore, he said the two accounts of animal killings near Parker Ford were definitely the work of a dog. After a TV reporter from Philadelphia, Jack Helsel, came out and filmed a report run on KYW Eyewitness News, the story passed out of the newspapers, and like so many before, out of the minds of the populace at large. But neither of these was the first mysterious animal in this general area of the state. As far back as September 26, 1899, a quote-unquote wild man was haunting the vicinity of Coventryville and gave chase to a woman named Anna McFarlane. It was widely supposed to be an escaped lunatic, as were most wild man reports at that time. Called the Wild Man of Chestnut Hill, this fairly obvious Bigfoot type is mentioned as it was in practically the exact same area as where Monty was seen. In January 1932, John McCandless and a number of others were cutting down trees in the vicinity of Lindell, north of Downingtown, when they heard a groaning sound. McCandless and one of the other men approached, and a creature they claimed was the Jersey Devil leapt over a hedgerow and rushed them. The creature soon vanished, and tracks were soon f were found in the area. The man who dwelled in a nearby farmhouse told them that he had seen the so-called Jersey Madman several times before. McCandless described the creature as about the height of a man and was without clothing of any kind. Its skin was a yellowish-gray in color, and its face was more horrible than that of any animal I have ever seen pictured. Its head, hands, and feet appeared to be unusually large, and it stood partially erect when walking. I could not say whether it was man or beast. The man with McCandless, however, was less ambiguous in his determination as to what it was. Man, that wasn't nothing human. It growled and groaned like a wildcat, and made chills run up and down your back just to hear it. It didn't walk either. It crawled, and it crawled mighty fast. In July of 1937, a man named Sidney Ladley was driving along a road near the town of Milford Mills. Milford Mills no longer exists. It was only a short distance east of Lindell, but is now beneath the waters of Marsh Creek Reservoir. Anyway, he was driving along at night when some creature resembling a kangaroo with black hair and large red eyes leapt across the road in front of his car. On February 9, 1939, something appeared near Coatesville. While Sylvester Scott was spreading fertilizer on his fields at the town of Westwood, he apparently disturbed some sort of creature which took off running across the fields. It stood two or two and a half feet off the ground. It was collared like a deer in the front, with white on the flanks. It had paws, remember, and not hoofs. It jumped just like a deer, about two feet up in the air. It had a very small head on the end of its neck, which was a foot long anyway. I didn't see any teeth. It was a fast runner, all right. It ran away from the dogs, beagles, and they didn't seem to want to follow. Neither did I. 
He also said that he had been hearing the creature for over a month, screaming in the night. But the Coatesville creature disappeared, as surely as all the ones before and after had. And that's the end of this episode. As always, a list of sources consulted for this episode can be found in the show description, and photos associated with this week's story will be on my Instagram at Forgotten Darkness. If you have a question, a comment, or if you know a lesser-known story that you'd like to see covered, leave a comment on the podcast page, post it to the Facebook page at Forgotten Darkness Podcast, or send it to our email at ForgottenDarkness77 at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at Forgotten Darkness Podcast, and you can DM me ideas there. I also now have a Patreon at patreon.com slash forgdark. That's F-O-R-G-D-A-R-K. Until next time, this is Andrew, signing off. This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.